There's times in history where we are required to do hard things. There are times where you are required to stand up for what you believe in. You either believe in it or you don't. And if you believe in it, at some point you need to stand up for it. And I think that 2022 is our last chance to save freedom in America. Hello, everyone. I'm Brandon Lewis with the Tennessee Conservative News, and I'm excited that we are joined here today by Robbie Starbuck, and he is a music video director and producer who turned conservative, uh, or at least came out as conservative and Republican in 2015. And I had the opportunity to see him speak at a Blexit event in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and I thought his comments were refreshing and encouraging, and he is planning on doing his dead level best to unseat Jim Cooper in District 5, and nothing would make me happier and many conservatives than to see that happen. So I'm bringing here today to you because I think you need to know about this gentleman. Robbie, uh, thank you so much for coming today. I appreciate you being on the program, buddy. I appreciate it. And, and yeah, it was definitely more of a coming out than a turning conservative, <laughs> for sure. It was more of a, this is the time to, to be real with people about, you know, where our country's going. Let me talk to you first about uh, your professional background, which is unusual for most folks running in, in a race in Tennessee. And I think, frankly, it's going to be yeah. very helpful to you. Uh, talk about your professional and personal background for a moment. So I've been a director, producer. That's what I was first known for. I've directed, you know, some of the biggest stars in the world, Oscar-winning actors, actresses, some of the biggest music stars. And, um, you know, it's an interesting, definitely is a very interesting career for somebody to jump into politics from. But, you know, what I like to remind people is that, like, politics in general has turned into this sort of weird theater that we see all the time. And I understand how the Democrats operate. I understand how the left operates. Um, and, you know, they're nothing like the blue dog Democrats 20 years ago. This is a, this is a very wildly far left party. And I've been around enough of these people in Hollywood to know how they talk about America, how they talk about people and how they plan to be able to push things through by deceiving people with certain words, certain things that look or sound pretty, and then it's a bait and switch. I was just talking about this last night actually with somebody um, in Cuba, they had propaganda flyers that would get put out, not just in Cuba, but in, even in Miami, where they would pass these out and say that um, Cuba, Cuba's not, you know, Castro and that movement, the revolution, they were not communists, that they were humanists. Mm -hmm. And that Cubans just wanted food to eat and to be racially equal and to be treated, you know, um, with justice and the, all the things that we are now seeing. I mean, who does that sound like now? This is the same thing they're doing now. And then as soon as they consolidated enough power, Castro, for the first time ever, admitted he was a Marxist. He never admitted that during the revolution. He only did that after he had consolidated the power to be able to withstand any sort of opposition. Um, so... You know, that's sort of the industry background in terms of my work, but I do think, I agree with you. I think it's going to be very helpful to me and my race because I understand how they operate and what it takes to bring them down. I mean, it, it takes, you know, I've never done anything that's easy. And I recognize that bringing down somebody who's been in Congress for 32 years isn't easy, but it's also not easy to make it in Hollywood as the son of a penniless refugee who's told that every step of the way, there's no way you're going to make it in Hollywood. You didn't go to a fancy film school. You don't know any celebrities. You don't know any rich people. There's no way you're going to make it. And I did it. Same thing was told to me when I came out in politics. There's no way you're going to be able to, you know, 
consolidate the support necessary to actually do something in politics. Within that first year, I was advising some of the biggest politicians in the country, and I was on the board of multiple prestigious organizations that are fighting for our rights. And I was able to do some really incredible things and amass a really awesome following of people who have stood by my side and helped you know, fight for our rights in America. Talk a little bit about what gave you the courage and the conviction to come out as a conservative, because a lot of people out there listening really probably don't understand the timidity um, that is in various and sundry industries for speaking your own mind and, and telling people that you're conservative, even here personally. We just broke a story of work, and, and this is, I'm a, I care about deeply about our state. I don't keep up with national stuff nearly as much because I have limited bandwidth, but here in Chattanooga, we had a, um, we're seeing this all over where they're pushing, pushing this uh, systemic racism um, and, and critical race theory. And our Chattanooga Chamber of Commerce wanted a lot of business owners to, to basically admit that they're racist and, and to sign a pledge. And although a lot of them contacted me and complained about it, very few had the courage or conviction to stand up because they're afraid perhaps they'll lose a dollar. Uh, yeah. maybe, maybe somebody at the country club or at a dinner party will look down their nose at them. I've never had that issue. Even when I've had yeah. other businesses, I, I just, I'd rather have a few people closer to me than a bunch of people yeah. that really don't understand who I am. Uh, for you in particular, buddy, you're in an, we're in an industry that, I, I mean, you, you very yeah. few people that are conservative, uh, and even fewer still that will come out. So what in the world gave you the, the brass balls? to just come out and, and be a conservative because that's a big leap. That's a good question because it's, it's, uh, it's the like thing, it's the golden rule you don't do. You don't break this rule. You don't come out as conservative. If you have these thoughts, you're supposed to keep them locked in your head. Um, so I knew when I made the decision to endorse Trump and I did it shortly after the escalator, I knew he was gonna win. I, I've always had really good intuition about these things and I knew. And um, I said, this is the guy America needs right now. And after I did it, I knew what was going to happen. And I did this with clear eyes. I was not surprised by what happened. I knew exactly how intolerant Hollywood was. We lost 85% of our business almost immediately. Wow. Um, the remaining fifth, you know, little 15, maybe 10 or 15% that was left were contracts that couldn't be broken. And um, those were things that, you know, as they wound down over the years since, they're, they're gone too, you know? So I knew what I was doing and I was very well diversified and ready for this. You know, my wife and I, we invest in multiple things. So we're good. We knew what we were doing, but my wife, you know, she was fully behind me, which is very important to me. Mm -hmm. But to be perfectly honest, for me, it was not a choice. You know, you actually said something just now um, that mirrors a lot of what I tell people that, you know, my family came from Cuba and I was a very inquisitive child, you know, so I'd ask a million questions about Cuba and what happened and, you know, everything. And um, one of the things that always stuck with me was uh, my bisabuelo, who's my, my great grandpa, he told me, you know, the hardest thing is that the Marxists actually didn't have more people. They had more vocal people. The biggest problem was that people were afraid to say anything about the radical ideologies that were being pushed because they didn't want to lose business. They didn't want to lose friends. They didn't want to upset anybody. There was sort of this, you know, idea that we should have uh, things be like polite. We should have polite society. And in polite society, you don't push back on these things. And that was really what brought down Cuba and brought down the idea of freedom on the island. 
And we're seeing a lot of the same things happen, at least over the last few years, where there's a lot of people who I know are conservative, who are terrified to come out and be real about who they are. And the reality is, you know, there's, there's times in history where we are required to do hard things. This is one of them. You know, look back in history. There's never been a period of time where it's just like, it's a golden age for decades and decades and decades. And everything's just this perfect stasis where you never have to ruffle any feathers. There are times where you were required to stand up for what you believe in. You either believe in it or you don't. And if you believe in it, at some point you need to stand up for it. And so I believe, and I, I believe this firmly that this is that time because, you know, and I've been saying this a lot when I go out to events, I truly believe in my heart of hearts and a big reason why I'm doing this is I think that 2022 is our last chance to save freedom in America. And I agree with you. And in, in your luck, I'm a, I'm a small business owner. I coach people in the construction industry all over the United States and English speaking countries and how to run their construction businesses better. So when you're a small business owner, to me, one of the biggest reasons you get into it, like you did with producing, and even though it's a little bit different type of business, one of the big reasons you do it is so that you can have autonomy. And yeah. to me, if you own a business, and a lot of people that are watching this do, and you can't express your political opinions, uh, and if you can't express your political opinions in front of your kids and your family, you might as well go get a job. You might as well go work in cube land. You might as well you know, just bend over and grab your ankles because you're not free. And I, I just dislike, um, I dislike all of this cowardice that I see yeah. and in conservatives in general. I mean, it's, it, it kind of turns me off when people express their, their views strongly. But then if there's anything they have to sacrifice, if there's any type of pushback, be, be it social or otherwise, they just, they just wilt. And um, the way I think about it is this, I have two beautiful children, uh, two girls that are gorgeous, uh, two and nine, and I'm not going to let them um, think that, you know, daddy wouldn't say what he knew was right because he was afraid of this, that, and the other. You have to set an example for your children to be brave because I believe that our country is going to require bravery. So let's talk about your run against Cooper. And I mentioned this before we started the program. I worked to put together Congressman Desjardins' team when he beat Lincoln Davis and flipped that seat from blue to red and then his reelection campaign. Uh, you got an uphill battle. Uh, I know that there's some things that, that, that we're going to talk about here in a moment, but you're going to be fighting the press in Tennessee. There are only two conservative news outlets. I'm one of them. Um, they're going to hate you. They're going to vilify you all every step of the way. You'd think you, you know, Tennessee would have conservative press. We do not. Um, you got a guy that's an incumbent. He's going to get tons of PAC and corporate money. Uh, that's how that's going to go. Uh, so why are you running now, and why should voters consider replacing Mr. Cooper with you? I mean, first of all, the district is, is going to change. We undergo redistricting this year. We don't know what that outcome is going to be, but uh, looking at the census numbers that just came out, it's very clear there's too many people in that district. Um, when you look at the national average of people in a district and what is appropriate, we're far beyond that. And so the legislature is gonna have to look at how do we make this district more representative of Tennessee and ensure all the districts are representative. So um, I do think we are gonna see the makeup change and um, that's definitely something to keep your eye on. But in terms of being able to you know, go after him, I think that yes, he will take in a lot of corporate money. I'm actually not taking corporate dollars in my race. I'm gonna be entirely people powered, but we expect to have 
a very, 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 very strong fundraising arm. And I think that it's going to be really impressive what we're able to do in that regard. We're going to be very driven by our ads and our communication to people. We are going to reach people where they are, and we're going to specifically message to each community in a way that they connect with. You know, I've always believed in that you need to make people feel seen and heard because for too long, our politics has left a lot of people out and made them feel like they're not seen, they're not heard. I'm going to make that a priority to make sure people feel seen and heard. And I'm going to do that with boots on the ground, but also through our messaging. And so um, I think we're going to have a really impressive fundraising arm. So in that regard, I think we will actually out fundraise Cooper. Um, but in terms of you know, the race itself, you know, why, why take this on? Or is it a lot to take on? I mean, I, like I said earlier, I don't do easy things. I do hard things. Um, and I think that God builds certain people to do hard things. And I was built for that. So in terms of media attacking me, they can't do worse than already has been done to me. The media has attacked me ever since I came out as a Republican, you know, um, CNN has done hit pieces on me and Rand Paul together. Um, you know, I mean, it, they do this stuff. This is what they do. I think a lot of voters see through it. And I think that my style of communication does make it a little more difficult for media to do their job because it's, um, I'd like to say I do a very effective job of pulling the curtain back on what they're doing. And I think that that's something that we have neglected to do for far too long in a way that actually reaches people. You know, it's not enough just to say, oh, this is fake news. You have to actually break through and expose exactly what they're doing and the process, the science of it, you know. Um, and so, you know, I, I feel great about it. I really do. And here's the thing. I mentioned this earlier. Blue Dog Democrats 20 years ago are not in alignment with Democrats today, okay? I've sat down with a number of Blue Dog Democrats. When we sit down and you keyed in on something with critical race theory, I sit down with a Blue Dog Democrat, and this just happened to me last week, actually. I sat down with one, and um, they actually, they live nearby me, and, and it was actually an over-the-fence conversation, but we're talking about politics. And they were like, well, you know I'm a Democrat. And I said, are you, though? Are you really a Democrat today? And they were like, what do you mean? I said, a Democrat 20 years ago is a very different deal. I don't, I don't begrudge what you did 20 years ago. But today, are you in alignment with the party of AOC and Bernie Sanders? Are you in alignment with the idea that, you know, our country is just this horrible racist place and that, you know, you're inherently privileged if you're born white and that, you know, you're basically the root of all problems in society? And they were like, no, I can't stand the critical, you know, race theory stuff. And I said, well, who's pushing it? It's not us pushing it. And we went through a few of these issues like this. And pretty soon they admitted and they agreed that they were closer in alignment to me on all of these issues than they are to the people who are the standard bearers now for their party. And so this conversation and these things are going to continue to happen in ways that Republicans have not been able to break through in this district. That's the other thing. I'm not a typical Republican candidate. You know, I, I have, you know, very similar sort of um, ideology to, let's say, like a Josh Hawley or Rand Paul but my communication style is also very different. I'm not, I'm not afraid, you know, in the outreach side of things to go and have uncomfortable conversations. Um, I think that that's how we can actually convince people to come over to our side by sort of breaking down these ideas one by one, layer by layer. So that's been really successful for me so far. And I do think that we are going to have more, um, you know, independents and blue dog Democrats come over as a result of how far left the Democrats are going. We've got to step out in faith uh, against a lot of this stuff and it's never comfortable and it's never easy and you will be called names and you will be attacked and so like you said certain people are built for this I think that you've, you've got a lot of the uh, attributes if I were checking a box 
um, as somebody that used to be involved in this stuff professionally, uh, you, you check a lot of boxes. I got to check a box. Guys, if you like conservative news, you've got very little selection in the state of Tennessee. And because people won't bring folks like Robbie to you because they are afraid, they are fearful, only 7% of people in the media identified as Republican in 2016, the last time they did the study, which means there's probably fewer now. So every time you get news through a Tennessee broadsheet, it goes through the lens of liberalism and what you're left with is a bunch of claptrap. So if you don't like that stuff, because I don't, uh, go to tennesseeconservativenews.com support. And if you give any amount, any amount, we will send you two proud Tennessee conservative bumper stickers. And if you get $50 or more, we will give you this leftist, I know this leftist tear tumble. That's what, what Brian or what Ben Shapiro says. We'll send you this proud Tennessee tumbler. And uh, if you put Boone's Farm into this, it comes out uh, a very nice aged Cabernet. It has magical properties. Uh, you can also keep it in your car. If you have to prop it up underneath a tire to change a tire, it's made of titanium uh, and reinforced steel. So you're going to love this puppy. Uh, $50 or more. We'll also send you this directory, which all of the state and local officials love. And if there's something coming down the, the pike and you don't agree with it, or if you want to give them encouragement, uh, we'll send that in the U.S. Postal Service. That's TennesseeConservativeNews.com slash support, or hit the red button at the top of the homepage. Back to the questions. Uh, so before the next question, I just have to compliment. That was a great segue. That the, the box check to I'm going to check a box. That was really smooth. Well, and I have thanks. to say, I, I really, really like the directory thing. People need to make those phone calls. No, and you know, it's funny. Uh, we're putting together an event on July 10th. Um, you're welcome to come work the room. Um, and it's going to be here in, in Chattanooga. This is the first time I've mentioned this. Or July, yeah, July 10th. It's going to be uh, me, Tennessee Stands. Uh, Americans for Prosperity and uh, Shaka Mitchell, who's a big, huge uh, school choice expert. And we're going to have a panel of awesome. some other activist organizations that are actually moving the ball, not just getting together and eating. That's awesome. I'm also on the board for Tennessee Stands. Well, and, and Gary is is out there doing the hard work. You know what we've determined? He's kicking is, butt. Yes, is that it doesn't matter for some of these guys how many phone calls you put in or emails. Like they just vote against their district because they've taken all this corporate impact yes. money. And in anyway, that's a conversation. Which for is why I'm not taking corporate money. I answer to people, not corporations. As well, you should because it 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 gets dicey. But talk about we don't know what's going to happen with redistricting. But I looked at the district before we got on the phone, and of course, um, you know, like most of your metro areas uh, here in Chattanooga or here in Tennessee, rather, like Chattanooga, Knoxville, and Nashville, the city limits are blue. Uh, people like free stuff, and you, you give them free stuff long enough, you collect a whole group of people like free stuff, and then you've got folks that, you know, that are, that go to college, they're college educated, that live in the gentry part of town, yeah. and they, they go in conservative, they come out Marxist, because yeah. uh, they're indoctrinated through our educational system, and I've, I've had to withstand a lot of that when I went into undergraduate 20 years ago, even, and now I'm sure it's terrible, uh, comparatively speaking, so how does that district lean now? Uh, and how many points red or, or blue is it? Now, of course, you have to have a tight race to kind of see that, but you can yeah. look at primary voter numbers. What just looking at? Just yeah, our best our best guess right now is that it's about a plus six and a half right this second, um, which isn't terrible. And that's that's in a tight in a real race. You know, um, he hasn't had a real challenge in a while. Um, but we're probably around that plus six and a half. So if you, you know, in redistricting, you're able to catch some more rural areas and lose some of the population to a district that is underpopulated right now so that things even out because we want to have, you know, more even equitable districts in, in that regard. Um, so 
if you do that, I think we end up at a place where you have a jump ball, you know, and if you have a jump ball, that's, that's, that's really, you know, I'm happy to run that race. We can attract people that have not been attracted before, you know, look at just Latino voters. We haven't had a Latino candidate um, win a race in, in Tennessee in national politics. So this is an opportunity to break ground there and to bring over Latinos in Tennessee to our party. Um, and that's a growing, that, that's going to end up being the largest minority group in Tennessee. And so I think that it's a group worth reaching out to and for us to really make headway with because Latino values are inherently conservative. The job that needs to be done is messaging. And so that's something that, that I'm going to take really seriously and not just for myself, but for all of our Republican candidates to communicate why our policies are the best thing for Latino communities. Well, I think they are, you know, and I, I grew up, I, know, I don't know what it's like to be Latino, but I know what it's like to be poor. My father could not read or write. He had club foot, facial deformities. He was the last of 13 kids. We lived in an old sawmill slot house, red well water. What, you know, we had you know, no air But he has white privilege, right? Yeah, yeah, I know. It's, uh, <laughs> and, you know, and I it's coach, ludicrous. It's and ludicrous. I consult um, all kinds of, I'm in the construction industry. I'd say about a third of my, well, not a third, probably about a quarter of my clients are Latino. Um, and and I've, I've, I've worked with black people and women and the stuff that gets things out uh that gets things done has nothing to do with your skin color has nothing to do i watch people succeed and fail regardless of skin color based upon their actions and their mindset and it, it is so um repulsive to me to talk to to people that are in minority communities especially impressionable children as if their fate is not their own and to Absolutely. build their heads full of things that if applied will cause them to fail in life that yeah. if applied will cause them to fail. And the way I look at it is if you're sitting across the table from a friend uh, and if what you would tell them would not help them, uh, then you don't need to make it policy either. If you would not give that same advice to a struggling friend that you cared about or a family member, you certainly don't need to be indoctrinating yeah. our children with it because it will lead them to fail and it'll lead them to be bitter as well. Yeah. Um, and so, at, you know, what works- I mean, for, just, just look at me. I mean, uh, my family came here with nothing. Nothing. I graduated at 16 while simultaneously completing my first year of college in a special program for gifted students. That's not something that happens anywhere else but America, and it's possible here. Your future's in your hands. That happened because I worked hard. I didn't go out after school. I went to college at night after I was done doing high school during the day. I put the work in. That's possible in America. You can do that. You have the opportunity to here. If you don't do it, that's your fault. That's your choice. It's not your skin color that's holding you back from making the choice. It's not your parents' background that, that makes that decision. It's you. And so, you know, I really resent the idea that the way you're born or who your parents are, what color you are, what religion you are, has any bearing on where you're going to end up in life. Where you end up in life has to do with you and the choices you make. Do you make the right choices? Do you do the right thing? Do you spend superfluous money? Are you responsible? Do you do the right things? Do you take that extra, you know, five minutes to be polite to people? Do you, you know, do you do the right stuff? And too often the answer is no, but then people want to say, oh, I've been oppressed or, you know, I'm not making it to where I want to go because, you know, somebody's holding me back because of, you know, X factor that, you know, really means nothing. You know, I, I never think about somebody's race when I'm hiring or when I'm, you know, working no. with somebody. It's not even a consideration. The consideration is, are you qualified? Are you smart? Are you nice? Are you kind? Do you do the right thing? I don't care what color you are. I don't care where you came from. I care about those things.
so hard to find anybody to do anything with excellence and to do it correctly that I don't give a crap. You can have a third eye. I don't care if you're like part manatee. Can you can you do the thing? Well, then come work. Can you come work? The third eye thing actually kind of seems like it might be uh, well, like, in certain right situations. Maybe if you're it running, could be. we could have, you know, over here, you're reading a document and over here, you're on the computer typing. I mean, I yeah. think that could actually be a, a benefit. Not well, a if you're part manatee, you could probably like, work at a marina or something and do all kinds exactly. of things nobody else could do. Um, now we're thinking outside the box. Okay, so Robbie's been smoking some of that stuff hanging down from the <laughs> the it's a little medical marijuana. Just you know, just in between interviews, uh, it, it takes about thirty minutes to kick in if you eat that. I told you, it's a it's a fake plant. It's, <laughs> my wife put them all over the studio here. She put <laughs> fake plants. Just messing with you. I'm sorry. You shouldn't make jokes like this in an interview. God knows what people would say. Um, so, what have we not discussed that you think is really important in this race? Uh, things yeah. that that you, you know, if you could pick one or two things that you're going to be a huge advocate for that are critically important to you uh, or that, that you think are really important uh, to Tennesseans, what would they be? School choice, huge, massive. That's going to be a big, big part of my campaign. I think that it's the civil rights issue of our generation. Um, you look at schools like in Baltimore, they spend $17,500 per child. And in their high schools, um, it's less than 10% of the kids graduating fully literate in math or reading. There's mm -hmm. no excuse for that in America. And the public schools are failing. The teachers unions are failing there. Um, and they failed our kids by keeping them locked up for a year. So that's a big one. Um, outside of that, I'd say the big tech fight, you know, that's a big one. I want us to return to our roots of being a trust busting party. The big tech companies are monopolies. Amazon has destroyed more businesses than you could even count. Um, I've talked to too many business owners who were totally put out of business and their employees were totally put out of business because Amazon intentionally undercut them on price. And then after undercutting them on price, intentionally lost money so they wouldn't have to pay the taxes that they should have been paying. And they did that as a business model to build into a behemoth where they became a monopoly that encompassed all different kinds of industry. And they're coming for every other industry. You know, they started a pharmacy now and they're starting, they start, they're starting all these other areas and sectors where they want to do the same thing and monopolize. You cannot allow a company to get this big because it's anti-competitive and we're killing small business with it. So I'm going to put small business first and stop these big tech monopolies. On top of that, we need to make Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all these places a public utility like your cell phone company. This is what I tell people. When Imagine that you're on your phone, okay? Actually, I'm gonna tell you the one that I tell Democrats when they argue with me. I say, I want you to imagine um, that AOC is on the phone, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Imagine she's on the phone and she's talking about all of her little crazy Marxist ideas. And the person on the other line is, you know, communicating back and forth with her about this and they're all happy about it. And then a representative from the phone company jumps on and they say, um, AOC, we don't agree with you on that. You're not allowed to talk about that on the phone. Um, you're not going to be allowed to use your phone anymore. Your cell phone privileges are being taken away. And there's no way for you to even be able to appeal that decision. Okay. Imagine that your entire ability to use a cell phone is taken away for life. That's insane. Everybody understands that's insane. Whether it's AOC, it's happening to, or President Trump. So when a social media company does it and they do it to put their thumb on the scale to help the political party that they support, it's no less insane. In fact, it's more insane. So we need them to be regulated the same way that the phone companies are to a very, very limited degree because I hate regulation. But in this one case, you need this very narrow regulation that says, look, this is the public square now. You can't go kicking people off for speech you don't like. 
Now, listen, people are going to say things and do say things that I don't like all the time. Th that doesn't mean that I should have the right to shut them down. And it's that that is one issue. There's a, there are a handful of issues that I really wish that the legislature had taken up this year in Tennessee, similar to yeah. what they did in Florida with Ron DeSantis. Uh, but yeah. DeSantis has just been incredible, incredible on every front. I would say that in terms of governance, that's the type of leadership you can expect from me is being bold and fearless. I'm not a politician. I'm not a politician. I never will be. So if that's what you want, you want the same lawyers from the same schools who have been in D.C. rubbing elbows their whole lives, then you're going to want to vote for somebody else. I, I, I'm like the people, you know, I'm going there with common sense driven strategies that, you know, I'm not afraid to lead on things and do things that somebody else isn't doing. I'm not a follower. I'm not going to, you know, be in lockstep with Kevin McCarthy on what his, you know, priority is. The voters have very clear priorities and I'm going to do what the voters want me to do. You know, another one is health care. For too long, we've abdicated our responsibility to even talk about health care, oh, you yeah. know, and we don't even have somebody in office right now who can tell a compelling reason or, or story why socialized health care doesn't work. Nobody with personal experience. I can sit up there and say, listen, I had an aunt just a few years ago die in Cuba because her cancer went untreated because it was too expensive for Cuba to treat her. She was she was considered essentially just a, an item line on a budget, not as a human being. In America, she would have been treated. Not only that, they didn't even find the cancer for years because they wouldn't give her a scan because there was a waiting list to get a scan. So by the time she got the scan, she already had terminal cancer. And then they wouldn't treat her, not even with pain medicine. She died in a cold metal bed in a room with no medical supplies. That shouldn't be a reality anywhere. Well, at the same time, just a little while later, I got to listen to Bernie Sanders during the Democratic primary go on about how wonderful the Cuban healthcare system is. This is what they're going toward. So if you doubt that, just look at the way Bernie and people like him have talked about the Cuban healthcare system. This is what they want. There's a reason why people from Canada come here for surgeries. It's not because their healthcare is better. So, you know, we need to have solutions though to be able to counter this as well. And I have them, I have solutions for us to be able to tackle this issue, bring the cost of healthcare down and, you know, take consideration for situations that are really difficult for families. So healthcare has been a big issue. I mean, it, we need to just get it back to the market. I, I'm self-employed, you're self-employed. Uh, I pay cash. I use MediShare because it, it, it used to be that people understood what insurance was. Insurance was for like catastrophic events. Like yeah. you, you have house insurance if your house catches on fire, but you don't go setting your house on fire because, you have, because you have fire yeah. insurance, which is what people do with their health. Yeah. And, uh, and and you don't you don't need insurance for going and grabbing a, a gallon of milk because that's an expenditure you can anticipate. You're yeah. going to have health maintenance costs, and uh, we need to get get things back to the. To Do the you want me to tell you my healthcare plan? Like what what it is? Please go ahead. So essentially, you know, and I may be missing one or two things here because this is all from memory, and I actually was just writing it this week. So essentially, number one, open up the state lines. We need to have competition. That's very clear. Um, it, the fact this hasn't been done is just incredible to me. We had the majority for two years and we didn't do it. And I don't understand for the life of me what they were doing, but that's, that needs to be a priority. Open up state lines, create competition. Okay. That's number one. Number two is, and you touched on this, we need to have more options for catastrophic plans because in my family, we're healthy. If I had a choice in this and I had a good option, then I would put us on a catastrophic insurance plan and I would pay cash 
to a doctor and we need more direct pay options. That's something we need to incentivize in the market so that we have more direct pay options. We need price transparency. So you need to know how much things are gonna cost ahead of time before you get a surgery, before you do something. You need a very clear, hey, this is what it's gonna be bottom line. And you need to be able to shop around for that. That's something we don't have in place right now and it's necessary. Here's another one, and this is one of my favorites, is that we need to ban pharmaceutical companies from being able to charge American citizens more for medicine than they charge in Canada and Europe, okay? The majority of these medicines are actually created here in America with grants paid for with taxpayer dollars. They're created in, in, in concert with our universities and their health programs, again, funded by public dollars, by your money. And then they turn around afterwards and they sell it for cheaper to Canada and Europe. That is not okay. We won't accept that anymore. And so that's something that we need to end. They need to at least have parity in terms of how much they're charging. They can't gouge American citizens anymore. Um, another one is that on very specific medicines, things like insulin, where it's life-saving and lifelong and you have to take it forever, I believe we need to have a margin cap in place. There's no reason that you should have a 5,000% profit margin on a drug that people have no choice in taking. They didn't choose to get sick. And it's a real problem. I know too many parents where they're paying thousands of dollars for insulin for their kid. And this wasn't something they signed up for. They work a middle-class job. They can't afford this, but they can't afford not to. Mm -hmm. And so this is one of those areas where it seems like common sense to do something to, to sort of make this doable for families because they have no choice in this. You know, short-term medicines, I don't believe that that's right. You're getting too far into controlling a marketplace. Um, I think you need to have competition. Um, another thing we could do with insulin is open things up so that more companies can make insulin. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything I missed here. Um, oh, we need more of the sharing programs. We need more of those where you're able to sign up and essentially, you know, everybody pays in. And if you have no problems, you're paying in for years, you have no issues, essentially an alternative to uh, insurance. Yeah, where that's what, that's what I'm currently on is Medicare. Yeah, then something Great happens program. and it's there for you. That fund is there for you. It's there for the other people who are a part of it. And that's another alternative that we need to, you know, champion and make sure that people know about. Too many people don't even know about it. And there's great Christian networks, too, who do this as well, where, you know, it's a Christian network. They do essentially the same thing, and they're there for you when you really need them. And you look at how excellent healthcare can be if you get it in the private, in the private sector. I have a concierge doctor who's very affordable. I mean, I have to pay yep. money to see him. You go in, you spend an hour with him. There's no rush. You're not cattled in and cattled out. He doesn't have three people sitting in the back because he doesn't take insurance, uh, you know, administratively trying to push the ball around. When I had my appendix out, I was actually with Congressman Desjardins coming back from uh, an event and I was not feeling well. And he said, you know, take your shirt off and lay down here on the couch, which typically if somebody says that to you in DC, there's something else coming. But he did an exam and said, buddy, your appendix needs to come out. You go have a scan if you want to tomorrow, but just get a, I'll set you up the doctor. So he set me up with everything and I was not feeling well. And uh, went and had the scan. Of course, he was right. So it was you know, money I wasted. But uh, at any rate, so I had to have it out. Well, when I had my appendix out, the um, when I went to tell him, I, I said, I have insurance, but I want to be cash pay. And they changed the price. It was going to be like $1,700. But as soon as they figured out I had insurance, it was six grand. And uh, the cost of having a child is around $20,000 in Tennessee. Yes. Well, we had one at a house with our midwife for $3,200. And the, the amazing healthcare, I mean, multiple meetings, tons of talk about nutrition, 
um, you know, education. Well, this is why we need medical freedom too, yes. because the same people who are trying to push vaccine passports want to push the idea that, you know, seeking an alternative like a midwife or whatever is not healthcare. Yes. It's none of their business what you it's do. It's none in your of life. their business. And the Tennessee Hospital Association, the Tennessee Medical Association try to put those types of alternative care providers out of business because they're in it for the money and not for the... Not they're they're the going to definitely be probably my biggest attacker. They'll be funding, you know, Cooper to, to a, a pretty... They'll be filling in the gaps for Cooper um, because oh, I'm oh. definitely not a friend of the, the, you know, of the deeply embedded pharmaceutical establishment. Um, I believe that, you know, people deserve choice and they need to be free. And I don't believe in allowing these giant behemoth companies, um, giving them the power to just destroy small businesses. I, and that's what they do. They do it. They're anti-competitive. Well, Bud, you spent more time here with me than you probably intended. You've got other things to do. You're running a big race. Uh, so, Tell me, how can voters find out more about you and your race to turn District 5 uh, to red from blue? How can they get on the list? How can they support you? How can they learn more? Right now, best way is go to freedomforever.us. You can sign up for um, our volunteer list there. Um, that's an overall, you know, we're focused on political action and activism. And it's not just for me. We're going to be helping other candidates like me who put America first, put voters first, and who are dedicated to freedom. We have a list just like the NRA where candidates have to check the boxes and say, you know, we believe in this freedom, that freedom, that freedom. And if you check all those boxes, all of our volunteers then do things for you like phone banking or door knocking. And so it's nationwide. Um, but if you're in Tennessee, obviously I, I'll be a candidate here. So my wife will be running it um, shortly in a few weeks once I make everything official. Um, and at that point, you know, hopefully she'll support me. I think she will. Um, but that's the best way for now. My, my site will launch, you know, once I'm official in a couple weeks. Um, and that'll be starbuck2022.com when it's out um, or robbystarbuck.com. That's where it will be once it, it opens up in a few weeks. But um, I'm excited about it, really excited about it. I'm going deep into policy on the website, too, so that people understand my positions. And I'm trying right now with our web team um, to develop a way where people can submit policy questions so that anything we've left out, I can then answer. So if you have a very like micro specific policy question that's like you're a one issue person, you can submit it. And in time, we'll end up putting that up on the website, too. Okay, well, I'm really worried about regulating short-haired miniature schnauzers, so I'm <laughs> expecting your full reply and platform. Freedom for schnauzers, that. 100%. Yes, exactly. So the, give the website, the intermediate website, one more time. Freedomforever.us. Freedomforever.us. Okay, so go to your web browser right now, type in freedomforever.us um, and, and give Robbie and his organization your contact information. If you don't do it now, you'll forget it. You're like me, do it now. Uh, be smart while you are smart. Uh, get that stuff out there. Robbie, uh, you've been very kind with your time. I've enjoyed talking to you. Um, thank you so much, bud. You too. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right, guys. This is Brandon Lewis, the Tennessee Conservative News. If you are not on our e-newsletter, do go to TennesseeConservativeNews.com and sign up there. We'll send you the news that matters to conservatives in Tennessee every day around lunchtime. Uh, until next time, I'm Brandon Lewis, signing off.